Before we dive into our message this morning, I want to ask you to try something. I want you to try to define yourself in five words or less. Think about it. Just boil yourself down. Who, what's the essence of you in five words or if you need five phrases or less? If you're joining us live, I'd encourage you to enter that in on the chat. Share with other people who you are. If you're watching this at another time, I'd encourage you to write it down and then maybe ask someone else that very same question and the two of you can discuss who you are at your core. It's not very easy though, is it? I mean, it's, it's a difficult task to try to take all of who we are and bring it down to five things, but I think it's something that's worth our time and effort because it helps clarify things for our life. Over the next five weeks, we're actually going to be boiling down some of the central teachings of our faith to five phrases. These five phrases are going to frame our series, The Five Solas. On October 31st, 1517, a man with an average build but huge intellect walked up the steps to the University of Wittenberg's front door. That morning, he intended to post a thesis which was designed to engage his academic peers in some discussion and debate. However, unbeknownst to him, that document that he posted would cause shockwaves throughout the church and around the world. The man was Martin Luther. The document was his 95 theses. Over the next hundred years or so, Luther and many of his contemporaries, leaders in the church, would enter into a time of debate and discussion where the church and world would be changed because of a, what we call Reformation. The Protestant Reformation was this time in which the Catholic Church and other church leaders hashed it out over some of the core biblical teachings. And because of that, we saw a division that happened within the church. We had the Protestants and the Roman Catholics. Now you'll notice in that term Protestant, there's the word protest, because that's what they were doing. They were protesting against the Catholic Church in these places they thought they had deviated from Scripture, and they were reforming the church back to what it should be. And so that's why now anyone who wouldn't be who would be a Christian but wouldn't define themselves as a Catholic or Eastern Orthodox would say that they are a Protestant. Now, if you know history, you know that the Reformation wasn't all good. There were people involved who, you know, were sometimes some shady characters. There were those who had sort of nasty debates and it didn't go well. But all in all, what happened during the Reformation was a move of God to reorient and redirect his church. And during that time, what we can be thankful for is that there was a decision to go back to the gospel, to go back to the central teachings, the good news of who God is and what he wants to accomplish in the world. And to summarize all that teaching, we actually, the reformers came up with it, was the five solas. 
Now, the five solas are five phrases which each sort of bookend all of the teachings. Today, we're going to start with the first one, which is this term sola scriptura. Sola scriptura means scripture alone. And that was the first formal principle that the Reformation wanted to get across, that there was only authority, the final authority, was found in scripture alone. On the other end of the Reformation, they had this principle that was soli deo gloria, for the glory of God alone. And that idea that all of humanity, everything that the church is for, everything that the world is about, is ultimately all about the glory of God. And in between these two bookends, we have three other solas. We have sola gratia, by grace alone. It's by God's grace that he took initiative to act in our lives and to save us. There's sola fide. It is by faith alone that we receive God's grace. And finally, there's solus Christus. It is only through Christ alone that all of this can be accomplished. Now, you probably picked out by now that we have this term sola, which means alone. And the idea of why they use this word sola and its variations was to get people to understand that there was a lot added into the teachings of Jesus and what was found in Scripture, and we needed to peel those things away. We needed to strip everything down to the core principles because anything else that was added or taken away was, in essence, changing the very Word of God. And this is something that wasn't just an issue back in the 16th century, but this is a real issue that we need to contend for today. Now, as we, before we get into that, I, there's another thing I want you to know as we go through this series, and that's the fact that all of these solas are interconnected. One doesn't stand out, and you can base all of faith on that, but we need all of these five principal teachings to be able to inform how we should understand who God is, how he works, what our relationship as humanity is with him. And why these all are interrelated is because that is who our God is. Our God has designed the world to be interconnected. He himself is a triune God. There's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God just seems to work in such a way that things are often woven together. One writer writes this. He says, The solas are grounded in the triune creator, the covenant God of Scripture, who alone is the center of the universe, the Lord of creation, history, and redemption, who needs nothing from us, but we need everything from him, and who rightly deserves and demands all glory, honor, and praise. That's all to say that God is our everything. He needs nothing from us, but we need everything. He makes all the world of difference. And so that's why we're going back to this scripture is to really contend back for the, the original teachings that we need to still hold to. I believe, sadly, that we have departed from this God-centered, God-worshipping orientation of the world. Now our worldview is more about me. We're me-focused, human-oriented, and really, we've ended up ending up with a truth where we say, well, what's true for you is true for me. But, or what's true for you is true for you, but what's true for me is true for me. And we do that at the expense of actual truth. 
And this has become a problem because even in the Christian community, we've ended up taking these significant matters of faith and we've said, you know what, I don't really like how that fully sounds and so we're going to add some stuff in or we're going to take some stuff away from how we talk about the good news of who Jesus is, about how God works. And when we do that, we miss out on the beauty and wonder of who God is and we miss out on the opportunity to share the genuine good news with others and to live with the full purpose that we were created for. And so with that said, let's start with that first basic principle, sola scriptura. In order to get some framework for this, we're actually going to go to scripture itself. And so if you've got a Bible, turn in it to Psalm 19, and we're going to look at verses 7 to 9. There we read this. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. What this passage is telling us is what Sola Scriptura is all about, and that Scripture has an authority, a purpose, of value, and it is sufficient for our lives. So we're going to look at each of those different things, the authority of Scripture, the value and purpose of Scripture, and the sufficiency of Scripture. Let's start with, though, with the authority. Psalm 19 tells us that the law of the Lord is perfect, it's trustworthy, it's right, it's radiant, it's pure, it's firm, and in everything that God says is right. That's what sola scriptura is all about. It's about the fact that scripture alone is the single authority by which we understand all things spiritual. It's how we understand God and theology and what we are supposed to do with all that. During the Reformation, what this looked like is that the reformers were challenging the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church had come to this understanding that there were actually two authorities. There was the authority of the Bible, of Scripture, and then there was the authority of the church, its traditions, and its leaders. And the Reformers said, whoa, 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 what's going on here? That is not at all what God teaches. He teaches us that his word is the last word. There's not anything else that can be added to it. And while that's what the debate was way back then, we still have some of those principles coming to life today where we add to or take away from the authority of the Bible in our lives. And the problem with that is whenever we do that, we change what is truth. You see, the Bible isn't just true. It is truth itself because it is the Word of God. Now, when we say Scripture alone is authoritative, we don't mean that there's no other authorities in the world. God has given us all sorts of different levels of authority. Even within the church, there are different levels of authority. God has given us the collection of his people, and there's people who are more spiritually mature, who teach us and guide us. There's people with certain spiritual gifts, which are given to the church to build it up. And then there is his word, which is his 
words, his actual words, to us. And there's sort of one thing after the other, but what God wants us to understand is that his word is final. It doesn't undermine those other things, but it does hold them accountable. And so as followers of Jesus, what we have to come to understand is that Scripture is how we understand him and follow him. Scripture, God demands that we learn it and live it. And to illustrate the emphasis of how important the authority of Scripture should be for us, Jesus explains it all and holds it up at this high level. In the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5, we see that Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Clearly, by Jesus saying this, elevated the level of Scripture to authoritative. Jesus said, Scripture is an authority. If you look at the teachings of Jesus and all his disciples in the New Testament, you'll actually find that over 295 times they reference other scripture. But what they never do is cite any other extra biblical uh, book that, or teaching that's from outside of scripture. They just don't do it because it is not authoritative. And so scripture should be the authority in our life. But the question then is, what is its purpose? If it has this value and this high bar, what are we to understand its purpose is with that authority? And again, we can go back to Psalm 19, verse 7, where we read this, that the law of the Lord is perfect, it's refreshing for the soul, and that the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. So the whole purpose for Scripture, for God's Word, for us is so that our souls can be refreshed, so we can have life at our very core of our being, and that we can understand trustworthy wisdom for our lives. That's why it's given to us. Another way, another passage where we see this to understand this is 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 to 17. There we read this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. One of the things God didn't do is set up some social experiment where he was just playing with the people that he had created. No, he didn't just sort of set us up for failure, but instead what he did is he's given us a guidebook for how we can live. He's given us his voice, his wisdom, things that we can grab onto so we can navigate life and so we can help others to do the same. And this is all given to us by God. And we see this in other places, like 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 to 21, where we read this, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the purpose of Scripture is that God wanted to be in relationship with us, and while he is not physically present with us, he is always with us by his word and through his spirit so that we can relate with him. 
So that sort of gives us the authority and the purpose. Then what does that tell you about the value? Well, it tells you that Scripture is worth so much. I mean, let's just think about the life we live. I mean, how many times do you go through life and you just hear different things and you wonder, well, is that true? Like, is that what I should be listening to? Is, is that what I should be chasing after? I mean, there are just so many different truths or supposed truths in life and so many different people with opinions and so many different messages that we hear and sometimes what ends up happening is we get stuck at a a fork in the road and we go well I can go this way or that way but which one's gonna lead to good things and which one's not and that's why this teaching of sola scripture is so important because what God wants us to understand is that we need something to ground us we need something to guide us. And it's valuable because it does that. I mean, do you remember being in school? Maybe it was middle school, maybe it was high school, and you'd get together with a friend or some friends, and you'd work through a math problem or a science problem, and you'd get to the end of figuring it all out only to find out that you had totally different answers. Well, the question then was like, who's right? How do we figure this out? Well, of course, what you did is you took out your textbook and you flipped to the back to the answer key, and then you were able to figure out if either of you were right, or if so, why were you right? And the reason that you were able to do that is because you could trust this authority because the one who was your teacher said, you know what, this is what I want you to have so that you can understand what I'm teaching you even when I'm not physically present with you. And so in the same way, Scripture is what Jesus gives to us. It's his word. And he says, this has the teachings that I want for you, even when you do not see me. This is your guidebook, your answer book for the problems that you face. This is the way to answer questions about faith and life. Now again, this doesn't mean that there's no other place to learn from. We can, of course, learn from the tradition of the church. We can learn from other believers who are around us. But at the end of the day, the value in God's word is that it has the definitive answer that we know is true. The reality is people get it wrong. I get it wrong sometimes. It's why, as a church, I always remind us, from the platform, I always remind us, like, don't just listen to me. Don't just shape all of your Christian life off of what I say in a video or when you're here in person, but actually go back to God's Word and read it for yourself. Study it. Reflect on it. Know what God is saying to you, not just through me. And that's so important. It's why even as a church on Sundays, we walk through the Bible by and large, book by book, passage by passage, because we want to see what God's word says and make that our authority to guide our lives. This is why day to day, you need to be looking at scripture so that when there isn't someone around, you have a way to go. You have something that can give authority and grounding for how to go forward. Because the reality is you're going to get it wrong sometime. Your spouse is going to get it wrong. Your boss is going to get it wrong. Your mentor is going to get it wrong. That book you read is going to get it wrong. Your podcast is going to get it wrong. And sometimes the church is going to get it wrong. So where do you go? You go to Scripture because it never misses the mark. 
What an incredibly valuable thing for us to have in our possessions. But maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, okay, so it has some authority, it has some purpose, I can see some of the value, but you're still wrestling with this question of, is it enough? I mean, does it just answer enough of the questions that I have? I mean, let's be honest, the Bible doesn't answer every single question in the universe. It doesn't answer everything about mathematics and everything about science. It doesn't tell us everything that we need to know about matters of psychology. So is it enough? The answer is absolutely yes. The thing about what Scripture is there for is not to answer every question, but to answer the most important questions. If we look back at Psalm 17, verse 7 to 9, Remember that it says the law of the Lord is perfect. It refreshes the soul. It's good for our soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. It makes wise the simple. It instructs us. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. It gives us joy and meaning. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. It allows us to see the reality of what God experiences and how he works in spiritual ways. And so the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. This is all correct. It's right. It's what God wants. Scripture wasn't given for every single answer. It was given to answer the most important. A theologian named Wayne Grudem writes this. He says, The sufficiency of Scripture means that Scripture contained all the words of God he intended his people to have at every stage of redemptive history, and that it now contains everything we need God to tell us for salvation, for trusting him perfectly, and for obeying him perfectly. One of the things that I find a little bit ironic is that during the Reformation, this principle of sola scriptura became so divisive. It wasn't designed to be divisive. It was designed to unify God's people, to point us towards the one thing that actually has the answers, to point us to one place of authority that we can trust because God himself gave it to us. But just like back in the, the 16th century, in, in the 1500s, 1600s, this is still a divisive point. It's still something that we wrestle with and we lose sight of the fact that there is a source for authority. So many of us go around through life, we hear voices of people saying, you know what, there's just no absolute truth. There's nothing that I can base my life on. There's nothing that can answer things sufficiently. And when we view that in our world, even in the Christian church, we are losing sight of the truth and the reality. I don't want to share this to divide. I want it to unify us. I want you to know that there is absolute truth. There are things that are right and wrong. There is only one way to an eternity with God. There is a place to find hope. There is something that provides joy and peace and comfort. And the only way that you can answer the questions surrounding that is to meet the God of the Bible. And the only way to do that is to ask the question and then go to the only place that has those answers. So what does that mean for us? What does it mean that Scripture is authoritative, that it has a purpose, that it's valuable, and that it is sufficient? What do we do with that in our day-to-day -day lives? 
Well, first and foremost, it means that we have to make a decision for what our authority would be. When the Reformation was taking place, it was the question of, what's the authority for you? Is it the Bible and and the church and its leaders and its tradition, or is it the Bible alone? For us, most often, it's a question of, is our authority the Bible, or is it ourselves? I think most people right now would say it's ourself. And they say that for one of two reasons. It's either because of a logical argument or it's because of an experiential argument. Most of us like to trust our logic. We say, you know what, I like to know what I know. I like to know what I can see. I like to have a a rational, natural view of things. And that's why uh, we are shaped mostly by this humanism and this naturalistic scientific principles. And, And some of that is really good, but we have to understand that that is also a philosophy and a faith-based position. The things about science can't always answer everything about theology and the supernatural and about eternity. And so we need something to ground us in that. I mean, I really want you to ask yourself, if your logic is so good, do you still have questions that remain unanswered? Do you really think you understand and can rationalize everything that happens both now and whether or not eternity even exists or whether or not there is a God. If you're a Christian, I hope your answer would be a resounding no. No, I don't have all of those answers and so I need something. Maybe you're not a Christian and so you ask the question, well, then, well, I'm just going to go with what I can go with. Well, for you, I would encourage you not to just let that settle. Because there are good, rational, logical, historical, and scientific reasons to trust in the Bible and what it says. If you want, you can look at our sermons online and go back to our series, Don't Check Your Brain at the Door, where we discuss issues around why can I trust the Bible, who is Jesus, and did his resurrection ever happen? If you want more of a relational approach, we would love to hear from you. I'd love to chat with you about it. We have other staff who would love to work with you and give you resources that would help you walk through those questions. But don't end at the end of the day saying, there is no authority or I don't know how I find it. Explore it and experience what God wants you to know. But in addition to our logic, oftentimes we make our experience authoritative. Whether that's our religious experience or just our personal experience, oftentimes we become separated from the Word of God. We say, you know what, my experience tells me that that does not feel right. You know, when we look at Bible, the Bible, there's so many people who say, oh, I'm just not fully comfortable there. When we look at matters of how we're supposed to live holy and pure lives, when we wrestle through things like sexual ethics that are presented in Scripture, we can sometimes want to back away because it doesn't sit right with us. And when we do that, what we do is we say, I am the authority. My feelings, my experience are the authority. But for you then, I would ask, are your feelings always reliable? Has Those feelings ever led you into a place where maybe you've been angry and hurt people? Maybe you've been mistrusting and missed out on something. Have your feelings ever let you down? Well, if that's the case, you've got to look for a place where you can find grounding where there is sure footing. And if you are a Christian, you have to go to the place that Jesus points us to, 
which is his word found in the Bible. The second thing sola scriptura means for us is that we have a way of telling apart truth from error. Again, how many times have you sat there and been like, is that true? And if you've been a part of the church, you've probably sat and listened to a message, whether it was taught by me or someone else, and thought to yourself, like, I'm just not sure about that, or I want to know more, and you've wondered, where do I go from there? How do I know if what was said is true or wasn't true? How do I lean in to understand more of that truth? Well, you need to go to God's Word. Again, 2 Timothy 3.16, God's Word is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training ourselves. So we can teach ourselves and other what is fact and what is fiction. We can rebuke things. When somebody says something that is just outright not in the Bible and it's talking about faith and life, we can use the Bible to say, hey, this is what this says and I think you're off the page. We can use it to correct our own thinking and the thinking of others. We live in a world where almost anyone can say anything. And it doesn't even matter whether it's online or in person. People will just say things because we believe that voices matter. But the problem is that sometimes voices can lead us to wonderful places, but other times it can lead us to places where we do not want to go. Now, I don't want this all to sound negative. Sometimes when we think about the, the, the authority or the last word, things can come across really negative and, and it sounds just really harsh, but it's not that anyone will never have good insight. It's not that there aren't going to be people who will speak good things into your life. It's not that those that God has, has given you will, will always fail you. There will be times when God speaks to you through those, through those people, and there will be times when you speak good, life-giving things and things that teach others about who God is and how he works. And there's going to be times when we use our spiritual gifts to show more about the fullness of God But the thing is, at the end of the day, we can't ever stop there. We have to always check and confirm whether these things align with what God has already said or if it doesn't. You know, I've personally been blessed by people who have been in authority over me in life, whether that's, you know, teachers at school, whether it's Bible study leaders, whether it's pastors, people who have just spoken things about my future and about my life. I've had People challenge me and correct me and rebuke me about, you know, my thinking, about my attitudes, about my behaviors. And I'm thankful for those opportunities to to know more of who God is and who I should be in him. But at the end of the day, while I'm thankful for all those people, what I'm most thankful for is that God has given me his word so I can go back to it to check off, hey, is, is this what God wants for me? Is this what God's saying or is this against what he's saying? You know, a lot of us wonder, how do we hear God's voice? Well, what I would say is picture it like triangulating your position. And scripture is the foundational thing about that. You know, if you go out into the wilderness with just a map uh, of the area, you can almost always find your way by looking for physical landmarks. And on a map, what you can do is look at where one landmark is, another, and then a third, and draw the lines, and where they intersect is where you are. Well, as you figure that out, we can do that with our our life. Well, maybe somebody says something. And then I feel like, hey, maybe that is true. Well, what I would do in that situation is I'd begin to speak to God and ask him to either confirm or deny it through his word. 
In the same way, if I was thinking about something, I often am like, hey God, I want you to answer this question in my life. Can you help me with that? And sometimes then I'll, I'll, I'll hear it from somebody else, something that just affirms it. But I go, hey God, I, I don't want this just to be, you know, me uh, having confirmation bias. I want you to speak to me through your word. So I see it there on the paper, the word you have spoken that will direct me. And what's amazing is so often God reveals to me whether that is right or wrong, whether I should go this way or that, because I have spent time in wrestling in what he has provided. And so finally, what sola scriptura means for us is that we have work to do. But through that work, we can experience the beauty and wonder of who God is and who we are. We've got to continue to dig into Scripture. We need to study the Bible. We need to reflect on it. We need to memorize it and meditate on it and let it steep in who we are so that it can become our guide, our path for where we are going. And as we do that, we pray and the Holy Spirit, who is the truth of God living within us, is able to affirm what his word is to us. This is what I want for our church. I want us to come back to a place where for every single one of us, we look at at Scripture as the authority, but we also understand its purpose and value for our life, and we see how sufficient, how, uh, how good enough it is for us, and that we embrace it, and we spend time wrestling it into our lives so that it would guide us into a fullness of knowing God and bringing Him glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Even as we look at this psalm and other passages that are contained here, Lord God, would we allow those to encourage us and and push us forward? God, would we understand that your your word is given to us to, to bring life to our souls, to bring light to our eyes so we can see who you are and, and, and who we are in that? Lord God, would this bring you glory as we begin to turn our lives towards seeing your word as the authority? Holy Spirit, would you continue to illuminate what we need to see in your word as we study it? God, when we end up in passages that we find tricky or we don't understand, would we be patient in waiting on you to reveal what it means for us? God, when any of a, whenever anyone in our church family has a decision to make or we're questioning whether something is truth or error when it comes to, to who you are and what our life in you looks like, Lord God, would, would we stop and, and look to your word? Would we be reminded of it? And would we plant a flag knowing that, that, that we can trust in the authority, in the sufficiency, in the purpose, in the value of what you have said? And Lord God, would that breathe life into us? Holy Spirit, as we begin to to embrace what your word means for our lives, would you bring life to us and to our church family? Would we be a people who are grounded in you, and would we experience everything that you would have for us so that we would bring you all the glory and honor and praise that you deserve? God, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, what you have accomplished on the cross. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you live in us and continue to guide us. We pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.